Have you heard of Anchor? It's free and it's so easy. If I can figure it out, pretty much anyone can. Create your own podcast from your phone or any device and they will distribute it across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms on your behalf without you having to do a thing. You can also make money without any minimum listenership or any required audience. Anchor is super easy to use, and all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your own podcast today. Hello, you're listening to Your Highness Podcast today with Morgan from the Cannabis Women's Alliance and Diana from Good Vibes Marketing. Hello, Morgan, would you like to say hi? No. no. <laughs> this, is a pod- <laughs> this is a podcast about women and femmes and the cannabis industry brought to you by women from the cannabis industry. And we're going to be talking about some news items today that are relevance to cannabis. Um, Let's start with a California bill that would ban cannabis branded merchandise. Um, Now, this one is supposed to be geared towards the big businesses in, in cannabis, but what really will happen is that it will detrimentally impact small businesses because they already are limited with the way that they advertise. And now they can't um, have any merchandise that shows the the leaf or the plants, and it can't be in any way um, attractive to children. So, what are your thoughts on that, Morgan? Well, it just seems like they're getting tighter and tighter in all of the advertising and marketing restrictions in Washington as well. So, I don't think it's a big surprise, and I think there are some advocates within the industry that think, hey, if that's the price we have to pay, then we'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the problems that we are having, I mean, obviously, I, I found a lot of the new stores here in Washington through sign spinners and inflatable arms and you know, things like that. But I get it. I understand. Um, you know, I would just ask that we get the same kind of consideration that the alcohol industry does. They advertise everywhere, you know. So, um, and as long as, you know, we're not putting women in any kind of objectification, then, I, I you know, let's do what we got to do. But, you know, cannabis sells itself. I so let's just be smart about it. And, and their concern about children not having access to these items is kind of bewildering because I can remember so many kids in elementary school that were wearing like Bud Light t-shirts and uh, (laughs) that's right smoking cigarettes and all kinds of stuff I mean we've come a long way since uh, Joe the Camel right Um, I don't I don't see anybody really in the cannabis industry that's marketing directly to children no unless of course it's the CBD oil that's going to help with their you know seizures and they wouldn't even know about that you know like that's something their parents would show them not not something that they would find after school in an illicit you know street corner somewhere it's like hey you want some CBD oil no (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you know how many smart people are looking for it too so we 
got some more work to do. And it's expensive too. So what kid could actually afford CBD oil? On their own? <laughs> you know? That's right. Mom, I need a higher allowance. <laughs> yeah. I've got a habit that just won't quit at <laughs> CBD oil. Anyway. So, all right. So hopefully that, that gets uh, figured out and it doesn't pass because that would be really bad. So the next item is more in your, your field. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a black thumb, you know, so whatever they say. I, I kill every plant unintentionally, so I have no idea what this means. But um, <laughs> Montana hemp farmer can't irrigate her crops under new law. I mean, I understand the concept of it, but would you explain that a little more? Well, the idea is you can't have a crop without any kind of water. And if the government is saying that, you know, you can't have access, that's going to be a huge problem. And I really cannot wait for them to pull their heads out of their asses and realize that, you know, if we can buy hemp seeds and hemp uh, products in our stores, why aren't you letting our American farmers grow it for us? Mm -hmm. So hopefully the tide is changing that we do have uh, hemp seeds here in Washington state. So, you know, it's starting, but let them have access to the water. It's, it's crazy. I know when you're fighting for access to water, we really need to look around here and see what's going on. I mean, that's, and this woman had like $6,000 invested in the last crop. Is that the right word? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's already put so much money into this and there's no recourse for her if I'm, this is ridiculous. So uh, hopefully she gets some help and that gets worked out. Um, yep. All right. Federal farm bill. Yeah. So there was a study out a while back that said that um, in the states where it was recreational, there was a higher instance of car crashes uh, related to having, I guess, being um, influenced by cannabis. And another uh, data company did refuted that research by saying that that wasn't actually true. Um, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where to begin? How are they even determining, you know, how much uh, cannabis is in your system, and what is the five nanograms that we hear have here in Washington State? I saw something recently where there was a guy who had like. 18 times or 100 times the, the limit that no, most normal people have. Uh, first, he got into an accident. Of course, he shouldn't have been behind the wheel. Uh, look, you still have to be smart, and you don't want to consume in your car. There's still laws and regulations. I mean, uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily buy it. I think alcohol-related accidents are still going to be far away any kind of cannabis-related uh, mm-hmm. accidents. And people running from the cops for those drug-related crimes can cause really bad accidents as well. Like in my situation, I my father uh, was killed in a car crash because the cops were chasing someone for a cannabis-related crime, and he crashed into my father, who was sitting at the light, and killed him instantly, and then got out by foot ran out of the car and ran away by foot. And you, did you know that they didn't even try to go after him for any kind of like vehicular manslaughter? They were more concerned about the drug charges than anything else. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm really sorry that happened to you, Diana. That's oh, just that's... another, you know, extreme example of mm-hmm. the things that have gone wrong with this stupid schedule one listing. It shouldn't right. be there. Yeah. Yeah. If we didn't have all of these ridiculous laws that like 
imprison people for just trying to live their lives, you know, that's what we should be looking at. Not, not these like little instances of upticks that we can translate into something, you know, and make it into propaganda so that nobody will try cannabis. It's just ridiculous. Agreed. Rant over. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the, let's talk about something more positive. Um, Women Weed Wi-Fi is a, an art collective in Seattle, an all-female Seattle art collective that wants to change the male-dominated cannabis culture. And they're love doing, it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, they're doing some really cool things um, on their website. They have some incredible artwork for sale and some music even. I mean, it's, it's really great. So I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, anybody that's trying to change this industry for the better, we definitely support. So, yeah, I like, I really like how they use their, um, their expression and their art to convey, you know, how they feel about it, what they do, how they become, you know, one with the community Mm -hmm. and just being able to, to live it without apologizing. And Mm -hmm. I am so thankful that they are here in Washington. Yes. Yes. And we need, we need unapologetic female and offense <laughs> as much as possible, That's right. you know, That's right. the more the better. Shake it up. Yes. Um, okay. So back to some gross stuff here. <laughs> um, so Jeff Sessions was um, at some kind of meeting with the D.A.R.E. program people and said that he thought the older version of the program needs to be rebooted and brought back because it was so, so successful <laughs> the first time. Yeah. What a bunch of poor shit. Yeah. Um, can, can we, you got a shovel for that bullshit? I mean, excuse me, we're going to bring back dare. We're going to bring back, um, didn't they have a mascot or some ridiculous thing? It didn't work people. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah, and that's what we're about to really go into right now with our blood talk. So, yeah, Dare. Okay, well, I don't remember um, their icon or mascot or anything because I was always, like, too cool for school anyway in my own brain, you know? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, I always had, like, a problem with authority. So anytime that they, like, would do these, you know, anti-drug PSAs, I would just instantly roll my eyes because they were so over-dramatized. And I was so tired of seeing the adults around me being so hypocritical. It was like okay, you guys can do this stuff, but we can't. No, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. But apparently there was a board game, a just say no board game, which like, I really feel bad for the kid that brought that to a sleepover, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's the word. (laughs) You're out. You're out of the treehouse. Yeah, narc, get out of here. Like, I mean, if that had been for, you know, maybe like for consent, as in a sexual education type of board game, that could be good, you know, as in like understanding the word no and what it means, that would have been good. But to have just a board game where it's just say no, it's just a fear-based um, education program is what it, what it was. I mean, it's not telling you any educational facts to combat these things. It's just, just say no, just say no. Stranger yeah, danger. it doesn't work. No. And uh, multiple studies have shown that there's no difference in drug use, um, especially when they were doing the outdated version of the program. Um, In the late 2000s, they did change their way of thinking because their funding was drying up. So they decided to go for a more evidence-based model called keeping it real. (laughs) (laughs) 
real real yeah and it no longer lists uh dare no longer list themselves as an anti-drug program and they plan to continue evidence-based education but Se- uh, sessions isn't happy with that he wants to return to the the old 1990s time frame like the, the early 90s. <laughs> so I take it he's not going to go out and tell these states with these opioid prices that in states where marijuana is legal that the opioid use is actually down 25%. Do you think he would do that for us Americans? Absolutely not. No. How how's that work? The only thing that I think really works is just making sure kids have all the information. I mean, the only drug thing that I remember that really stood up to me as a child is I did a project on LSD when I was in fifth grade and I had to make a real life version of a a acid trip and I made this box and it had like all this crazy stuff in it and you could look into it and all that but anyway that actually scared the shit out of me and I was like you know I don't want to do this drug if I can help it because it was saying you know like I really did the research and found out that it it stays in your bones forever and everything like that, you know. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. now I know all the facts about this. I don't think I'll be interested, you know. Like, that's what you have to do because making it seem illicit is just making it seem exciting. It just makes it exciting. Uh, Agree. And we're not – I mean, we're doing the kids a disservice when we don't actually tell them what's in this stuff and how it affects their bodies Mm because they're not dumb. No. And I told my, my uncle the other day, we were having this conversation. I would rather have my child, if I had one, uh, try cannabis and talk to me about it. And I would tell them the truth about this is not a drug. I, would, I wouldn't mind if they were doing it, of course. I would encourage it. So. Oh, I actually, we had the conversation. I had the conversation when my son busted me. And it was basically, you know, sit down. He was probably 12 or 13 at the time. And uh-huh. he had been and fed the messages all along that marijuana was bad. And it was, you know, he'd been taught somehow. I'm not sure exactly where. But, you know, he was very, you know, disappointed. And then I just let him know. I gave him the whole education about why I was using it. You know, at the time it was for cramps and relaxation. He wasn't supposed to be home early from school. So uh, <laughs> so it's all good. It was a good conversation. And, oh, and later good. on, you know, he became, he, un- he understood it. And mm-hmm. when I started growing it, you know, it, it just became a, a fact of life for us in our house. And now I, I don't know where you. we'd be without it. Right. And he trusts you now, <laughs> yeah. you know. Exactly. I'm and sure. he doesn't use it. My kids don't use it. And I think that that's, you know, the next generation, because it's out there, they don't need to do it. They don't feel compelled to use marijuana because everybody else is using it. So yeah, good for them. Yeah. And, and I think that there's actually been studies showing that since the since it's been recreationally legal in Colorado and Washington, that there have been a, re, a great reduction of teen use um, with drug use, like teen drug use. If I said that, maybe I should say that sentence all the way through again. (laughs) There's been a reduction in cannabis use in any kind of illicit drug use since um, it became recreationally legal. So I think that proves the point, you know, that once kids are not treated like idiots, they actually make well-informed decisions. I mean, yes, their frontal lobes are not fully formed, but you have to give them the whole story. That's right. Otherwise, they're going to find out the answers on their own, and it's going to be very bad, <laughs> you know? That's right. Because you go balls to the wall when you're told, like, no, 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 all the time. So. That's what I did. All right. So 
um, I think that's pretty much it for today. Um, did you have Excellent. a call to action that you wanted to add, or do you want to do that in this one? Mm, I don't have one. Okay. <laughs> I should have one. If I think of one, I'll call you. Okay. All right. So um, just let us know if you have any ideas for future themes or questions, concerns, anything. Uh, the contact information will be at the end of the episode. Our very first guest today is Katie McBride. Katie McBride is a writer and editor who frequently covers addiction and recovery, mental health, politics, literature, and social justice issues. Her work has appeared in Rolling Stone, New York Magazine, Lit Hub, Rewire, The Establishment, Pace Magazine, and Cosmopolitan, among other publications. She is a contributing editor for Book Riot and the associate editor of Anxie Magazine. You can find her work on katiemcbride.com. So, um, when you were working on the Rolling Stone piece, what was the most surprising element about the can cannabis industry you found during the research phase? Um, I mean, the most surprising thing to me in general, it, I've found it out a little bit before I started. It was sort of part of the impetus for starting a mm -hmm. Rolling Stone article. I was just, and kind of continue to be so blown away by the fact that there is cannabis that doesn't get you high. Like right. there is, and still has some of the medical properties that, you know, I mean, to me, mm -hmm. I just thought it sounded like a made-up fantasy land thing. I was like, that sounds like not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds a little bit too good to be true for people like me who kind of assumed I'm never going to use medical marijuana because I have all these proclivities that make that not the best idea. Right, and that leads me to my next question. Did you experience any pushback or criticism from your fellow recovering friends or support you know yeah I um I really thought that I was going to get a lot more than I did mm -hmm. uh, I was I was like kind of bracing myself for an onslaught of yeah. just like you're a bad person in recovery and like you know whatever um and I really didn't uh, I got at more than anything, people saying, oh, yeah, this has really helped my anxiety. Like, it actually allowed me to go out and go to meetings or mm -hmm. know someone who has been really helped by this. And, you know, they didn't say, like, oh, I'm terrified to, to say this to other people in recovery. But you got the sense that it wasn't something they would have been talking about otherwise. Right. So it opened up a conversation, hopefully. Well, yeah, and I think they also, I think it's something that may be a little bit more prevalent than I would have assumed. It's just mm -hmm. that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about it yeah, <laughs> and are only exactly. talking about it to people who they know maybe have an understanding of, like, the science behind it. Yeah, I mean, do you think that some of it comes from a place of not understanding the difference between someone having a physical dependence on something because of chronic pain or anxiety opposed to someone who is physically addicted to something, if that makes I think sense. It, yeah, yeah, it does. I think it, um, 
I think there's just so much, so many varying opinions and Mm -hmm. general weirdness in the recovery community about, you know, what is acceptable sobriety, what isn't. And, you know, there are a lot of, not so much anymore, but like back in the day, there were, you know, people who thought, uh, taking antidepressants or going to therapy, well, mostly taking antidepressants was like a mood altering substance, you know, like there's just mm-hmm. has to be a long kind of evolution on that. And right. I, so I think it's more that people, you know, like what, what constitutes sobriety for me could be so different from mm-hmm. someone else. And, um, but people feel very strongly and very passionately understanding yeah. so that like right. their conception of sobriety is sobriety. Like they're so, almost too afraid to check out whether or not it could be a possibility because they don't know how right, their body which, will react to it. I yeah, which I totally understand. I mean it's it's scary because part mm-hmm. of addiction is being like, Oh, I don't have control over how much I want this thing or my relationship. Right this thing so like you do want to tread lightly exactly Um, and and you you empathize with other people going through this and you don't want you know you want them to stay sober too so it's just I think more than anything it's just like we're learning more about different mental health conditions and what works for them we're learning more about what different medicines do like how people are thinking about these things are changing. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> what I found down here is that people who do use cannabis and that are sober, you know, that are in recovery, they keep a secret because they're afraid of having that conversation. And also because it seems like the general attitude is don't do anything, you know, like you were saying, how it's unsure. You don't know how your body will react to it. So they just don't do anything. They don't take Tylenol. They don't. You know, yeah, it's just like a like no medication. It's it's an extreme um, idea, and it doesn't always work out. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that's you know that's the problem with like any kind of extremism mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. it's like our world is more complex than that, and our bodies are more complex than that. But like like super black and white never right like cookie cutter solutions yeah yeah it just doesn't work out I mean but then you know like for some people it does for some people it you know being really strict about it and having that kind of control like over exactly what you put in your body is Mm -hmm. what makes it work for them so Mm -hmm. I think it's for me it's more about like you do what works for you. Just don't spread misinformation or don't, you know. Right. Um, and now would you ever try or have you ever tried like CBD oil or? I, I would try it. I would mm-hmm. try it. I <laughs> I keep like looking into it and then kind of dragging my feet on it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think that's more that just like I hate going to the doctor and talking to people. and <laughs> Like mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll get around to it. So I'm yeah. getting open to doing especially because I feel like with insomnia and various other Mm -hmm. things like it would be and like I've you know by some people's standards of sobriety like the fact that I've taken Vicodin when I've had Mm -hmm. migraine would make me Mm -hmm. not sober 
Um, right. And to me, it's just like you can think whatever you <laughs> whatever you want. I right. Care. I mean, um, I think some of it has to do with the wording too, because if we're saying sober so much, and I know it's, it's there's all this discussion about what's the te- the correct way to say mm-hmm. or or to label and. I understand all of it, but at the same time, when you're saying things like sober, it's giving you such a definitive mm-hmm. label. Yeah. And like you said, everyone has their own vision of what sober is. So I I don't know. I feel like the conversation has definitely needs to change all across the board. But in recovery, it shouldn't be a place where you feel like you're afraid to talk about what works for you. No, definitely not. And, you know, that's what I would love to see, like, you know, even though I think 12 step programs are great and they've done a lot for me, I Mm -hmm. would like to see other programs that have also worked well for other people sort of Mm -hmm. become more prominent and just like in more areas. Cause I think one of the things is like, it's fine if AA wants to take the stance of, you know, I mean, I don't think they really actually take a very strict stance on it. I think people just kind of make that up. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, if a group wanted to have that be their their standard and make it that, that's fine. I just think that there should also be other recovery support groups and programs right. where people who don't want to define it as strictly can also get support. Did you find any of that in your research? Yeah, I did. Um, well, Let's see. There was uh, someone reached out to me after the article, and they actually, I think, run a treatment uh, facility for opioid addiction Uh that uses medical cannabis as part of um, the treatment of coming off off of opioids. So I guess that's not really the same thing um, as, like, a program. But they were – I mean – like most rehabs I'm aware of would never in a million years allow that. Yeah. And I think there are some shifts yeah. that are beginning to happen. And I think they could, they also have a lot of restrictions, I think, but I know there was one in Maine. I saw on an episode of Weed Kit, which is like this backwoods rehab. And it oh, was like, yeah. And it was really incredible, but I can't find their information anywhere. Oh, that's so it was frustrating. This, yeah. It was like this secret of, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it was, they'd only had 10 clients so far Mm. or something like that. And they had a success rate already of like eight out of 10. That's amazing. Right. Well, I just like the other thing is like, I, I researched all the stuff about the medical benefits and this and that. And so, but it's even like taking all of that aside, it's also like really the worst thing that happens when people smoke pot is like they fall asleep. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's like an overgeneralization, but like it just so doesn't have the same kind of dangerous Mm -hmm. consequences. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, like with people who who feel they have to be quieter about it, uh, Mm -hmm. especially if they're in recovery, it's hard to say too. Like how much of that is the fact that it's got varying legal statuses from state to state, and like, yeah, you know. I don't know. I, I wonder if it would, if it was just legally, recreationally, everywhere, mm-hmm. whether that the conversation around it would start to change a little bit faster. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it would. 
But anyway, I don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> no, no. Thank you fun. so much for taking your time out today. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Your Highness Podcast, brought to you by Cannabis Women's Alliance and Good Vibes Marketing Agency. The Cannabis Women's Alliance was founded to bring community, guidance, and inspiration to women working in the cannabis industry. Good Vibes Marketing Agency is a digital marketing agency that creates organic content for organic solutions. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, you can email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com.